Hey there, welcome to the latest episode of Motos and Friends, a podcast brought to you by the editorial staff at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. This week is big mileage themed. Ultimate Motorcycling magazine editor Don Williams chats to us about the 2021 Yamaha Tracer. This is Yamaha's sport touring take on the brilliant, much-loved three-cylinder MT-09. Don gets to ride a lot of motorcycles, and he's not short of an opinion on this bike. In the second segment, associate editor TJ Adams talks to custom builder and filmmaker John Tagley about his custom-built style and a new venture he's taking on next week. We'll bring him back in a few weeks to see how he got on. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this episode. So yeah, I finally got a chance to ride the new 2021 Yamaha Tracer 9GT. Now, we first got a look at it back in November of last year. And I kept thinking, when are we going to ride it? When are we going to ride it? When are we going to ride it? And finally, here in September, we get to ride it. Only 11 months later. But I'm sure we can uh, blame all the government restrictions on uh, that have disrupted supply chains on that happening. But that's okay, because finally, the Tracer 9GT is here. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that model, because it's not one of the high-profile Yamaha models, I don't think. It's basically an MT-09 that's decked out to be a sport tour. Now, they didn't just throw bags on it and a bigger fairing. It's got a longer swing arm. They added a lot of weight. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's about 75 pounds heavier than the MT-09. And it's a legit sport touring bike in a world where sport touring has kind of fallen by the wayside and adventure bikes have taken over that, that niche of people who want uh, sporty performance and want to go on long trips. But the new Yamaha Tracer 9 GT is a legit sport touring motorcycle. Yamaha made pains to say that it's not adventure in any way, even though it has a little tiny bit of adventure styling left when it used to originally, they originally, the original version of the Tracer 9GT was the FJ08. And it had a little tiny hint of, of adventure bike in it, but that's gone now. It's completely street tires, completely street bike. And so it's, it's a sport tour and not an adventure bike in any way, except for handguards, which I thought were kind of funny. If you don't like them, you're pretty much stuck with them. The handguard to have brackets that hold them on the right bracket also serves as the mount for the uh, brake reservoir so you can't remove the bracket that holds on the mount or the you can't hold the bracket that holds on the handguard without coming up with something who knows what to keep the to hold the reservoir up so I was kind of disappointed in that. And Yamaha was like, well, why would you want to take them off? And I'm like, well, it might be hot like it is, you know, today when I was, when I picked up the bike and you, or you might not, you just might not like the look of the, of the hand guards. But as it is right now, like somebody maybe in the aftermarket will come through with something, but those hand guards are, you better like them because you're stuck with them. I kind of gave them a bad time about that because I was looking at it, I was like, thinking, I like to take these off. And then I'm looking and it's like, what? And the, and the Yamaha, even the engineer guy was like, not familiar with that he's like oh yeah hmm. well i guess happen. you could like 
saw this piece off and he was like, yeah, you don't want to do that. And he's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually gave the guys at Yamaha a bad time because their Yamaha WR trail bikes don't have handguards, even though I'm blasting through bushes all the time. Yet their street bike, that's never intended to go through any bushes, has basically brush guards. But anyway, let me get into riding the bike because it is an interesting motorcycle to ride. Uh, many of us are familiar with the MT-09 and Levitt. It's got the uh, triple cylinder motor, which is always great. Different sound, different feel, a bit of torque, a bit of high end, puts it all together. And you have a super flexible motor that pretty much everybody loves. And the Tracer 9 GT inherits that MT-09 motor. And this year, like the MT-09, the Tracer gets the upgrade of the motor, which basically they lengthened the stroke by three millimeters, and that brings it up to a, an 890. Uh, so a little bit more torquey power, and that's always a good thing, especially on a sport tour. Another huge upgrade to the Tracer is the semi-active suspension. That's always a big deal. It's so great to be able to electronically alter the damping uh, without... It's a great thing to have the motorcycle constantly altering the damping to reflect what you, what it presumes you want while you're riding. And actually it does a good job of that. You still get to pick the kind of style of damping you want, whether you want heavy damping or light damping, depending on if you're more sport riding or if you're just cruising along. But you do get to pick the overall feeling of the suspension. Uh, spring preload is still only adjustable in the rear and you have to do it by hand, but they have a big knob in the back that have you set that up in case you have a passenger with you. But most of the time, you're not going to even touch that. You're just going to uh, use the TFT screens, another kind of interesting update to keep tabs on what motor settings you want and what uh, suspension settings you want. So let me jump back to the motor for a minute. Uh, the motor has four power settings. Now, we're used to seeing, you know, sport, touring, road, rain. Uh, Japanese seem to be a little hesitant about that. And I'm told it's lawyers. They don't want somebody to say, well, you, I put the bike in the rain mode and I crashed in the rain. It was supposed to stop that. So uh, they don't make any sort of, of pronouncements about it via the name. It's not rock. It's not roll like BMW. None of that. It's just one, two, three, four. So uh, one is the most aggressive and four is the least aggressive. And Yamaha definitely gave the four of them a different feel. Uh, the number one setting is pretty aggressive. Uh, it's not quite snatchy, but it reacts pretty strongly to your throttle input. And while you might think, oh, that's the one I want when I'm out sport riding, it doesn't really work that way with a bigger bike. You, uh, you kind of need a super smooth road that you know to make it take advantage of the, the one setting that's, that's so snappy. The two setting, again, kind of the same, you know, it's the same but less. They don't really talk about the exact settings and how they work, but basically the number two settings gives you a slower acceleration at the lower RPMs, but as you ramp up the acceleration, it 
it, it starts to accelerate faster. It's a much more progressive feeling. So you have the smooth bottom end, but you still have the blitzy top end. So if you're not on the boil all the time and always you know, up in the top, upper half of the rev range, you have a smooth acceleration below that and you still get the, the cool, fun top end and mid range that you want when you're sport riding. Uh, number three, kind of didn't have a feel a need for that. It just pads things down a bit more. And number four is really slow. I mean, when you put that throttle, you can crank that throttle wide open and it's kind of goes, which is basically a rain mode. And uh, if it was raining, I would have that on. Or if the road was wet, I would, I would put that on because that's a safer thing. But uh, so they kind of went a little bit overboard, I think, with four different settings when three would have probably is going to take care of 90% of the riders. But if they have an extra one that somebody likes, that's, that's great. And for the suspension, they have two settings and, you know, one's firm and one's soft. And initially I, I was running it in the, the firmer one, the sportier one, and it felt pretty good. I really, I really liked it. And even it bounces you around a bit on the bumpier roads, bumpier corners. And here in California, although we pay the high uh, fuel taxes, we don't have high quality roads. We have some pretty bad roads. We have some good ones, but we have some pretty bad ones. And uh, I rode on some bad ones. And in the, the firm mode, it's, it's about, it's, it, 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 the bike will bounce you around, not excessively, but enough that you notice it. So I said, okay, I'm gonna back it down to the, the B mode. And the, you immediately feel how much softer it is. There's no question that that bike runs, runs softer with that softer uh, suspension setting. So at first I'm riding it and the bike kind of felt imprecise. Like when I was going through corners, coming out, it's like, uh, it feels soft and it feels good. And I'm avoiding those bumps, but it didn't quite feel like it had that, that sharp handling feel that it has when it's in the, uh, the, more, the firmer mode. But the more you ride it, the more you adapt and get a sense of that feel of that soft mode in it, eventually it feels really good. Uh, you can go into corners and there's a couple I can think of right away that, you know, have the ripples in them. And instead of having to, to check up because the, it's just too much for the firmer suspension, the softer one just kind of sucked it up and I just flew through and I learned the feel of it. And even though it's softer, I learned the feel and it was in the real world of riding where roads are not consistent, not like a track, it is, the soft mode is really good. Uh, the firm mode, you can use it. If you, a lot of people just like the firm mode because they can say, well, I was right, the firm mode because look at me, I'm going fast. That's not always going to be the fastest. And uh, I mean, if you have a local road that's smooth and you know every inch of it, you can put the bike in the number one power mode, the number A or letter A suspension mode, firm things up all the way, sharpen up the throttle response and you can haul butt on it. It does have that MT-09 uh, motor and mostly chassis, just, just a longer swing arm on the uh, tracer. But if you're anywhere else and you're out touring, which is the concept of a sport tour is I think that you go ride places you've never been before. I think a lot of riders, at least the smart ones are gonna want the, they wanna go one step down in the power and the one step down in the suspension action. And they're going to find that they have a pretty great package at that point. 
Okay, so, so the suspension is not linked to the riding mode at all. The riding mode is simply throttle response. And in, in the most aggressive or the least aggressive mode, um, it's, it, it knocks back the power a bit as well. Correct. Those are completely independent. They don't have really ride modes. They have each mode, you know, the power mode. They also have a, a, a traction control mode. But, you know, I, I, I like traction control. Some people get, you know, feel like that takes away a lot of the fun. I'm not spinning things up on the way out. And so I'm happy to just put it in the, uh, there's only two levels anyway, but I, I, I'm happy to have the additional traction control just in case uh, something goes wrong. I, I'd rather, and, and one time I did feel it go in, coming out of a corner, it was hot. And I think the road was just a little slippery and oily. And when I got on the gas, I felt the, the traction control kicked in and I didn't go, well, that cheated me out of some fun. It actually was what I wanted. And there's also wheelie control, which was an issue for me. Although with a couple other riders that were on uh, Tracer 9s riding along with me, and they were doing some pretty, pretty gnarly wheelies on them. I mean, if you turn that off and you want to stand that bike up to 12 o'clock, it will stand up to 12 o'clock, just like the MT-09. Uh, that's not my style of riding. If I'm on a sport tour, especially, I'm not popping wheelies. But if you're the kind of guy that says, hey, I want to pop a wheelie on my sport touring bike, this bike will take care of that with no problem. So the riding modes are uh, throttle response and, and at some level power and traction control and wheelie control all combined. Um, but they do not combine the suspension settings in with that. Actually, each of the traction control, wheelie control are separately adjusted. I see. Okay. So, so all four of those functions, so throttle response slash power, uh, suspension, traction control and wheelie control are all separate functions and you you can sort of tailor make you know tailor adjust it to your riding style at any given moment correct and you have the ability to, to set up a setting with all of those that you like and then go to that setting all right can you can you change any of this stuff on the fly or, or do you have to stall no you they're all they're all changeable on the fly uh you might have to shut the throttle off but but that's it for me i wish they would let you save two or three versions i don't you know computers are pretty sophisticated these days and i'm sure it wouldn't cost any more to have you know personal mode a b c d e whatever i mean so that's that's like one of those things where i've seen that on other bikes where maybe they'll have two different uh modes that you can set up yourself but i don't know why they restrict it to just one or two when you know you might want whatever you want and uh that would be something that i would like to see them work on uh, it's not like you're gonna do it's not like the settings are so wild that you're gonna screw the bike up if you let people you know push the buttons in a different way i mean you can is you know with a typical suspension that has the, the screw adjustments you know for damping yourself you can make the bike handle kind of crappy if you don't do those right but with this semi-active suspension you can't screw it up it's got the two modes. They're both great, but they're distinctive of each other. And, uh, you know, you can't mess things up. The power mode, all four of them work. They, you will understand immediately what they're doing. And so you can pick the one that's right for what, the way you ride, the conditions that you're in, and how you, how you just want it to react. So any, any combination you ran, and again, the wheelie control, 
I just had it on wheelie control because I wasn't going to do wheelies and I didn't want to, I wasn't going to accidentally do wheelies. So really it didn't matter what I had the wheelie control on. I wasn't going to have that kick in. Uh, the traction control, um, if I had had it on the less intrusive and sort of the more intrusive, would it kicked in when I was coming out of that corner? I don't know. You know, you have to, it's hard, you kind of a difficult thing to test. But for me, I'd rather kick in and say, hey, that was getting a little slippery back there. It wasn't like it kicked in on every corner and you're like, oh man, this is taking away all my acceleration. This isn't any fun. It was something that very, very infrequently reared its head, which is the way all of these would be. And there's also ABS on the bike and uh, it's corner aware because there's an IMU, which makes all these other systems work. And so um, I never, I was braking fairly hard here and there, but never felt the, uh, uh, the never felt the, ABS kick in. Now I'm a, a pretty savvy breaker. I have pretty good, pretty good touch. So I'm not likely to uh, skid everything unless I I'm in a panic situation, which every once in a while happens. Uh, so I, it's, it's not an intrusive ABS. It's very, lets you do your thing. And that's a big part of sport touring. You just ride, all this stuff happens, the suspension adjustments. And for people who have never ridden a semi-active bike with semi-active suspension, it's really an interesting feeling because you might think, oh, it's constantly changing the damping settings like all the time, constantly a thousand times a second or whatever it is that it does. But it really doesn't, you don't really feel it. You're not feeling it at all. Uh, basically, the, the bike just feels right in whatever situation you're in. And there's a few bumps on some of the roads that I went on and you know, I'm familiar with the road. So I'll hit these bumps just to see how a bike reacts because not every bike reacts the same. And in the case of the tracer, uh, a lot of these bumps that are, that are disruptive, it just sucks them up. It, as soon as you touch the front of that bump with that front wheel, it says, oh, there's a bump there. I think I will adjust for that. And it has adjusted by the time you have gone over the bump. It's truly amazing. And, uh, semi-active suspension is is kind of addictive once you get used to having it it's kind of like you just you always want it because i i feel like semi-active suspension is more important than highest quality suspension if somebody came up to me and i wrote about this on the ducati supersport if somebody offered me olin's the best olin suspension and let's say a mid-range suspension package that was semi-active I would always take the semi-active because when I'm at riding, conditions change all the time. Now, I'm not going to jump off at every corner and go, oh, well, it needs to be this way and change the Olean's to this and that. So it's perfect in every different situation. Oh, these are some bumpy corners coming up. Hold on, let's stop the bike, change the damping so it goes good through that. That's the world of the real world as opposed to a track world. Now, if I'm on your, on your on track, your MotoGP rider, they don't want semi-active suspension. They want repeatable exact suspension, but they're on the track. It's a very highly controlled environment. In the real world, semi-active is far superior to the best non-semi-active or just manual adjustment suspension, in my opinion. Yes. Um... I perhaps haven't had quite the quite as good um, good an experience as, as you with it. Um, I can't say I dislike it, but the advantage of Olin suspension is it, it's not just the settings; 
it's the smoothness and the ability um, that the suspension, how the suspension reacts. This, so the suspension on my GSX-R 1000R um, with the BFF suspension, the sort of, you know, people would be familiar with, you know, the remote reservoir sticking out sort of behind the forks. Um, the, the, the action on that is so smooth and, and the suspension feels so controlled. You've really got to hit some really crazy bumps, which, of course, the road does have it. And especially, as you said, in California. But but by and large, I often haven't necessarily felt the need for for dynamic suspension or semi-active suspension. Maybe I just haven't had something that really um, I felt really worked well. But but I, I do take your point. Um, I think perhaps in a in a sport touring application, like you say, um, you know, for instance, if you're doing a lot of, you know, highway droning and a lot of highways in America are con concrete covered, um, they have a certain amount of ripples in them and ridges and what have you, and you're droning along at, you know, 80 miles an hour or whatever. And if you're on really firm suspension, that can get old pretty quickly. So, so to me, if you've got a, a long, boring ride to get somewhere that is interesting to ride, I can definitely see that having the ability to soften up the suspension for a nice, comfortable ride when you need it is an advantage. Kudos for Yamaha for putting it on, on this bike. I guess the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, the engine, you talked, talked a bit about the engine, you know, the MT-09 is a spectacular motor does it make the power in the same kind of way does does the tracer make the power in the same kind of way um or is it detuned or softened or boosted in the mid-range the other thing that i wanted to ask about was the gearbox again with a lot of sport bikes you find that when you're you know cruising along at 80 miles an hour you're sometimes sort of prodding for another gear just because they tend to rev fairly high so it wouldn't have surprised me if the Tracer maybe has slightly longer gearing to just make that sixth gear a little bit more of an overdrive um, and, and a little more comfortable in a, in a touring type of environment. Now, you would think that those things are the way they are in the Tracer, but they're not. Uh, same motor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think they missed the boat on that. Personally, I would have rather they made it torquier because the bike, as I said, weighs about 75 pounds more. And at, on the, you know, let's say the lower half of the RPM range, you know, when you, when you roll on, it can feel doggy and it doesn't have anywhere near the response that you get from the MT-09. Because it's almost like you have a passenger on the bike. Right. With that, with that, all that extra weight, you mean? Yeah. And the longer wheelbase, it just, the whole thing doesn't have that snappy feel of the MT-09 at all. Now, once you get up to speed, you're going through this twisties, it feels good. It feels really good. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, when you think about touring, it's definitely a sport tour, but they didn't uh, change the gearing and that and the power. So it's kind of suffering a bit. I feel from the extra weight, I would have liked to have seen more adjustment for that. And somebody might've complained that, well, they took some of the top end away to give it more mid range, which yeah. Okay. You know, or they, uh, lower the gearing well now it's buzzy at high end which is that would be a legitimate problem you know on a sport tour because you know you might be going at speeds we're not supposed to talk about 
when you're, you know, flying across the desert on an interstate and you want the bike to not, to not be buzzing the whole time. So maybe it would be about, you know, changing all the cogs and making it a, a wider ratio transmission where there's a lower first and a higher sixth. But now you're starting to get into costs and development. And so they just bypassed all that and just went with the same motor that everybody loves and said, well, you know, wor work it out with the with the power delivery modes. And, you know, you can get this. You'll never get the the roll on from lower RPM that you would that you feel on the MT-09 on the tracer. It's just not going to happen because because it's because of the weight. Uh, yeah, I think even the fairing probably slows things down a bit. The bags, which are standard and and come off nicely so the bike you can ride it it's actually a pretty cool upright sport bike if you well, I wasn't intending to get this right away but I'll, i am talking about it now so i will the the tracer is actually a legit sport bike for somebody who's not looking for the ultimate in sport you know maybe somebody who's moving up and says you know what i'm not going to be dragging my knee in the corners on the street i'm just going to be going as fast as i can but i'm not going to be going at, at any kind of breakneck speeds but this gives you a more upright you have protection of a fairing and a windscreen and without the bags you know it, it's it looks like you would expect a sport bike to look like an upright sport bike and so uh, it's a pretty pretty good choice for somebody who's really savvy about what they're about and what they really want and what really works for them. Uh, you know, I, I would, you know, I've kind of fallen to a middle region on that. It's like part of me, going, oh, MT-09, pretty cool. And, but then I would look at this and ride it and I might go, you know, this is more practical and smarter and I can go as fast as I am going to go. Uh, you know, for me, when I'm riding on the street in the canyons, uh, fast stuff, my speed is limited to what I can see. I'm not big on going, you know, full throttle through blind corners. So I'm, you know, I'm not pushing on that edge because I don't know what's around that blind corner and I don't want to find out in a bad way. So I, you know, my speed is always going to be limited by that rather than the bike. But once I'm through the corner and I want to accelerate out, that's when, you know, the different power comes into play for me. And in the case of the the tracer it does not have the that snappy launch out of corners that you're going to get with the mt09 so you'd have to kind of go well what do i really want or you know what what am i going to do and the nice thing about the tracer of course is that you have kind of the best you have a choice you can also if you want to go touring the mt09 not the greatest touring bike obviously without any kind of fairing or or integral bags whereas the tracer has the fairing the windscreen which is which is actually you can move while you're riding I, i'm not going to recommend that anybody do that because everybody has their own levels of dexterity but i had no problem changing the position and the higher one definitely gives you more protection than the lower one uh it's summertime here so i was riding in the lower one a bit more just because i wanted to get the you know get a little bit more airflow even though i'm somebody who who likes the protection usually and i usually will ride in the high position uh, and this when it was hot i wanted it in the low position uh so it's an interesting companion piece to the mt09 in that you get many of the same features uh you know you get the engine wide it's the same the same i think the frame is pretty much the same the uh 
Tracer gets the longer swing arm, a considerably longer swing arm too. It's a couple inches longer. So, you know, that's going to slow down the handling. It's just going to make it look a lot more, make it feel more comfortable, you know, to ride. It's going to make it feel more, more stable in a straight line. It's not going to be nearly so reactive over things. Um, so, so really, I mean, it really sounds as though what you're buying with the Tracer is more comfortable ergonomics, obviously things like the, the touring niceties, like the bags and the fairing. Um, but you are definitely getting something that is a little more touring focused, but could still stand in as a, if not an actual sport bike, as a certainly a very sporting bike if you wanted to. So it really does sound like a viable alternative to the MT-09 if you're looking for something a little more comfortable and a little more, not that the MT-09 is uncomfortable, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not as comfortable as a sport touring bike. A uh, couple other features that are definitely worth mentioning. There's a, a, there's, there are two screens. Instead of a single dash, there's a left screen and a right screen. They're both TFT, full color, incredibly sharp. But there's a little spot where I feel like Yamaha missed the boat. The angle of the screen is not adjustable. And it felt like the screen thought my head was where my chest is. It's not facing straight up at my face. So I'm always looking at it from above, looking down. And the other odd thing about it is, is that the screen has a cover over it that's glossy. And in the sun, it's always picking up super bright, uh, you know, super bright reflections from the sun. And a couple weird, that's a couple weird things that I would have thought would have come out in testing the bike that, hey, we need to be able to adjust these so that a different size rider, different height rider, because I don't know anybody that would be short enough to actually be looking straight at like that perpendicular angle to the screen that would be the best. They're all, everybody's going to be looking up and a taller rider really going to be looking down at the, at the, at an angle at it. So as great as the screen is, and the screen is, is slightly modifiable and you can pick what you want to see basically on it, the left side gives you the, uh, you know, there's a tack, which I never look at because I know where the engine, I can tell where the engine is by listening. Uh, this speed, which is just a digit, uh, gear position. When speaking of gear positioning, uh, the Yamaha Tracer has up and down quick shifting. Yamaha has always been, for whatever reason, late to the down shifting, you know, quick shift being down quick. Just they, before they had only up, now it's up and down. And it's flawless. Uh, it, once you get up to speed around town, uh, the sometimes you know how quick shifters are. They're not really designed for just being used around you know slower speeds. But once you get up to upper speed, it's almost like a seamless gearbox. You know, you come out of a corner, you go, you just click, 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 and it just goes right through them, and you barely even feel it shift. It's really great. And so, big fan of the gearbox. Big fan of the quick shifter. Uh, that's great. Uh, there's also uh, LED cornering lights. I haven't, you know, I haven't taken it out of the dark yet. I'll have to try that. But it has the thing where uh, some LEDs light up to look into the corner. Although my experience with that, and this is a later edition than that, but with the first FG, uh, FJR 1300 was like when I was going to a corner and let's say there's a wall, like it's a corner with a big wall, uh, you know, because they've notched it out of a hillside. It just lights the wall up. <laughs> You know, and so it was actually dist more distracting than it was <laughs> helpful. You know, now if it was a flat road and there was curves in the road, but I don't know why, you, you know, maybe if you're riding along the Mississippi River and it's like going back and forth and it's flat, you could see through. But for me in the mountains, canyons, 
that's kind of a, a, a feature that I'd like to be able to turn off if, I, if I'm using it. Uh, I should probably also mention that it's got uh, Dunlop Sportmax GPR 100 tires. Uh, those are designed definitely for, you know, better wear. But, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not pushing the tracer. I don't think the biker, the bike is a, the tracer is a bike that somebody who pushes is going to pick. Uh, and if they do, they can put different tires on it. But the, uh, the, the GPR 100s were fine. Uh, you know, the, they, they stick good. They're predictable. The turn-in was decent. Uh, the bike's really stable in the corners, so that was all good. And the bags themselves do come on and off very easily. Right. Uh, they're plastic, but they uh, the hinges are good. Uh, it locks up good. The buttons, the, the, the levers to open things up and close them all work great. And, uh, you know, sometimes getting bags off a bike can be like a really frustrating or, or on really frustrating experience and i haven't run into that yet with it with the tracer every time i want to take them off or put them back on they they cooperate and and that's definitely a good thing so i guess lastly what what's the uh, the price difference between this and the mt09 it's not inexpensive it's 14.899 and if you want the mt09 you're only paying 93.99 so it's five thousand dollars more so that's really quite, that's quite a big jump. Do you think, do you think that sounds reasonable? I mean, do you, if you, if you were considering both of these, would you, um, would you consider that you get value for money with that extra money for the, for the tracer? It totally depends on what you want to do with it. If you're not interested in the touring aspects of it, I would say it's not worth it. But if you, if you're going to go touring, the MTO9 isn't going to get the job done. Money is a funny thing. We always talk about that. And for some guys, as I always say, some people will pay twice as much to get something 1% better. And other people will not spend a dollar more to get something twice as good. Right. And it's just, it's just the way it is. And so for some people, the 5,000, like, oh, the other bike, the tracers that only cost 14899 Well, that's nothing. Why would I even care about whether I get something for cheaper than that? Perhaps comparing the tracer with the MT-09 is a bit unfair. Perhaps it's more a case of what, what else would the Tracer compare to? Um, what other sport tourers in its class? And they're probably much more aligned with that price structure. So if you're you know, hopping around from brand to brand, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that would um, immediately be direct competition for the Tracer. Um, but but it's, that's probably more like it. Yeah, that's, that, that's the tricky thing about the Tracer 9 and kind of good about it. What, me is that it's 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 in its own niche you know we as we've talked about we talked about the start sport touring bikes have fallen out of favor for the most part adventure bikes have, have replaced them in that concept but i think maybe the only bike i could think of you know, the couple of bikes i could think of that would go against it would be the ducati super sport is a, a you know but boy you know i I love both bikes actually. And the Ducati Supersport, though, is much more sporty. You know, you're leaned over, it's a sport bike, but you're leaned more over. The fairing is a, much more of like a race type fairing than a touring type fairing. But it's the same, it's the same concept. I was thinking maybe something more like maybe the Kawasaki Versus 1000, which I know that's a sort of, a, I got some adventure styling to it, but it has road wheels on it and everything else. So it's essentially, you know a road bike well it'd be more like the ninja the, the, 
it'd be one of the Ninja 1000. All right. Yes, you're right. You know, the Ninja 1000 is a good, and actually it's funny when I was riding, I was thinking about the Ninja 1000. I was like, ah, I got to get a Ninja 1000. Got to double check how much the cost of those two are. And, and then if you want to go up into the other Italian exotics, the MV Agusta. The Turismo Veloce. Yes, the one that you rode in Italy. Yeah, yeah, the Turismo Veloce, yeah. You know, it's basically the same size motor. Right. Uh, same concept with, you know, quick shifter and yeah. uh, semi-active suspension. Yeah. So, but I think they get about 20 for that. Yeah. So is it worth paying 20,000 more to get a MV Agusta than a Yamaha? Again, for some people, that's going to be like, well, yeah, of course it is. Why would I even think twice? And other people are going to go, no way. I'm not going to spend five grand to get an MV Agusta. Yeah, no, I hear, I hear you. Okay. I've always been frustrated by the concepts of, of value because everybody places a different value on the experience and they put, place a different value on money. And so it's, it's always, we always, all of us who ride or live, live in life in general, all feel like our balance of, of quality and, and uh, price is just the right one. What I think I have is that's the proper balance between the two, and everybody else has a different one than you have. Right. So I, I, I try to stay away from the which is a better value. It's like, right. well, that depends on how you value the experience and how you value the money. Right. But, but from a general sense, the Tracer 9 GT, it's not an exciting bike. There, there is a bit of the appliance aspect to it where it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, again, that extra weight that it puts on the motor kind of takes away that excitement of the uh, MT-09. Although if you want to do big wheelies on it, it's, it's certainly capable of doing big wheelies. And uh, it's super fun to ride and it's super enjoyable to ride. And for me, it's one of, and this is the most important thing you can, a motorcycle can be, is that when I see it in the garage, I want to go for a ride. I want to go, oh man, I want to go somewhere. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. It, it really calls on me to go for a ride and to have fun. Oh, I want to go visit my uncle up in Bakersfield. I want to see my dad over in Williams, Arizona. I want to go see my sister down in El Cajon or whatever it is I want to do. It, it's a bike that I can do those three things with. And then I can take the fun way there. I don't have to just go on the freeway and, and visit them. I can go on whatever roads I want. If I want to go on the freeway, I can do that. If I want to go on the back roads, I can do that and have a great time. If I want to take a day to do it in a day, I can do it. If I want to take a couple days and take the scenic route, the bike is ready to do that. And with the smooth motor, and it is smooth, uh, you know, you don't feel a lot of, uh, you know, vibrations or anything, even though it's relatively small for a sport tour, it still works, uh, you know, cruising in the 80, 90 range. I mean, sure, if you go fast enough, it'll, it'll buzz, but, uh, you know, you, you don't want a ticket. And uh, or maybe you don't care if you get a ticket. <laughs> go as fast as you want <laughs> yeah. until you get enough points and they take your license away but then you don't care about that either so you know i, I always wonder what it would be like to be elon musk and have like i don't care if i get a ticket i don't care what, what would i how would i drive how would i ride probably <laughs> a bad thing right 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 but, so uh, I, t I take it has a few of the uh, the touring niceties um i'm sure it comes with cruise control yeah cruise control su super easy to operate you know, I didn't even mention it because it's like one of those things where you just push the button, but blah, blah. you don't even need somebody to explain it to you. It's completely intuitive, completely locks in nicely. Excellent cruise control. Uh, heated grips, heated grips at all? Heated grips are standard. In fact, this is funny when I'm, when you can modify the right screen to show different pieces of information like trip meter and the temperature and the, you can have the gas gauge on both sides if you like, you know, different things. But I, 
kept accidentally pushing a button and having the the grip heater come on without uh, me expecting it. And it was like, oh, got to turn that off, you know? And so the grip heater was, I mean, personally, I like the grip heater to be a dedicated button. And I can tell you a quick story about that. I was riding a Ducati Multistrada, I think the first generation. I was, uh, it was a hot day. It was like 100 100 degrees. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'd been changing things, you know, testing out different, settings and stuff and all of a sudden the grips are like hot they're like really hot it's already hot and now i have hot grips and i could not figure out what buttons i had pushed to turn on that heated those heated grips i actually had to pull over pull my phone out go online search around for turn off heated grips ducati multistrada to figure out how to turn those things off and uh, it it was an arcane selection of buttons that I had accidentally hit that made it happen. And I was able to turn it off, fortunately. And the Yamaha, it's not quite so bad. Uh, you know, it's like you get it on and then there's another button. That, it goes to zero, which is good. Instead of it being like, well, it's still on, but it's only on one to three or one to four or whatever it is. It actually lets it go all, go all the way off, which is what you want. And so, uh, the, but the, the, the buttons are all intuitive. Uh, it takes, there's, I'll say, not 100% intuitive. It might take you like a couple rides to completely master how to, you know, manipulate the screen the way you want it. But once you set it up, you know, you're probably not going to change it anyway. But it's it's a good screen. I wish I could see it better. I wish it wasn't as reflective. Very strange that when stuff like that happens that way. But man, it's a beautiful screen. Like if you're at night, at night, it looks great. It looks like the future. So it, it's pretty cool. It sounds like you like the bike. I mean, overall, you know, a few little niggles on it, but but by and large, it sounds like you actually really quite liked it. Oh, yeah, I totally loved it. And as I said, it makes me want to go riding. And that's my, my standard for motorcycle. Do I look at it in the garage and go, oh, yeah, you know, or, oh, let's go. Man, I got to come up with an excuse to go ride this because I really want to go somewhere. I really want to do something. Awesome. Uh, it's super comfortable. You know, uh, it's got the, you know, as you've probably noticed, more modern bikes have wider bars it's got a little kind of wide bars sure uh but the seat height there's two different seat heights and normally i like the tall seat height but the tall seat the standard seat height was pretty roomy as it was I, you'd have to be pretty tall i think to want to go to the the upper position it, it's six tenths of an inch not a huge difference but it's it's there and uh you know the other thing i did i didn't mention and whenever you don't mention something that means that they just work perfectly is the brakes. Right, right, right. It doesn't have, I, I did mention the ABS didn't kick in. Uh, you know, it's got 298 millimeter discs and four piston distance calipers. So it's nothing extraordinary. You know, you're not looking at, at uh, Brembo's and 320s, you know, you're looking at what you expect. Right. And again, you know, you're not riding on that ragged edge where, but when you want to break hard, it'll break hard. And it has a nice soft initial bite so that you don't feel you know hesitant to use the brakes uh oh which right. actually that, that right. brought up one more little thing i didn't mention the bike in this is probably part of it being the mt09 motor the engine doesn't have a lot of compression braking and when i'm out touring and riding when i roll the throttle off i like the bike to slow down more than it, this one does and some bikes have now one of the adjustments is adjustable engine compression braking even like the yamaha excuse me the honda cb1000r has adjustable engine compression braking uh i would like to see them bring that to the to the tracer because when you roll off it's not quite free wheeling but it doesn't have that 
slowdown that allows you to kind of ride smooth or not even use the brakes. Just come into a corner, roll down, roll out. You know, you, you, I find I had to use the brakes more than usual because uh, the engine wasn't doing, you know, its job to slow, what I would consider its job to slow me down when I turned the throttle off. Interesting. Oh, well. But other than that, uh, you know, KYB did a great job with suspension. The motor is, you know, a, a favorite of many. Uh, so as is the chassis, all the creature comforts make you want to go tr touring. You know, it's it's not too loud when you're riding and it's comfortable. And uh, like I said, it makes me want to go riding. So that makes it a winner as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hey, listen, I appreciate your insight into it. It sounds like uh, it sounds like an interesting bike. Appreciate your thoughts. Okay. Well, thank you. Good to talk to you as always. All right. Thanks, Don. Cheers. Okay. In this second segment, associate editor TJ Adams talks to custom builder and filmmaker John Tagley about his custom build style and a new venture he's taking on next week. We'll bring him back in a few weeks to see how he got on. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this segment. You're a motorcycle builder and a filmmaker, and you have an unusual style of filmmaking. Um, which comes first for you, the motos or the filmmaking? Uh, I've got to say it was actually the filmmaking that came first. Um, I got my first camera when I was a teenager, uh, made my first short movie about a year later. And um, I kind of put it down for a few years and all of a sudden GoPro came out and it just totally changed the game. Um, I started filming everything that I did, um, got into bikes, started filming those just very simple kind of videos. And then it progressed into this um, like giant production for, for my scale anyway, uh, where I would do these, these huge intros and um, just kind of like that was my hook is the big intro. And then hopefully the, you know, the content would follow. Um, I generally would try to have some kind of theme to the video to keep people interested. And it just took off from there. I got into cholos after that. And um, then it just, it, the channel sort of started really growing. It's been, it's been good. It's been a wild ride. It is. It's very popular. I mean, I had a look and I, I love your movies. I love the way, I mean, I've only watched the recent few on the motorcycles and great explanations and easy to follow. Thank you. And snappy and interesting. I'll put a link actually to your YouTube channel in the show notes. Great. Great. People can catch up with you. Um, you mentioned Cholo. Can you explain that to me, please? <laughs> yes. So, so Cholo, it's um, a lot of people know it as uh, a Vikla. And Vikla is more widely known on the West Coast um, and in some parts, especially Australia, there's a big uh, Vikla um, Cholo following. On the East Coast, it's more known as a Cholo. And that is basically. Um, it could be a number of different bikes um, that can be choloed. Um, and that's basically a group of modifications that uh, make up a basic framework uh, for a, a look of a bike. Um, it usually entails, uh, you know, apes and uh, fishtail pipes that stick way out the back. Um, and there's different degrees of choloing your bike. Um, I, I explained that in one of my videos how I kind of simplified it, how you could have like three tiers of a cello. 
you know, beginner kind of intermediate and then a more advanced cholo. And um, with my soft tail, I think I'm definitely in the more advanced uh, spectrum of the whole thing. And a lot of people were saying, wow, I wish I could have seen your bike from the absolute uh, beginning where the bike was totally stuck. And since I couldn't really go backwards, I thought maybe this is an opportunity to bring another bike into the channel uh, that was basically completely bone stock. That way people could share um, in the build with me. This is a totally stock bike and we're, we're going from zero to a hundred and people could come along for the ride. And I, I think it's really, uh, people are really, um, people are digging it and they feel like they're, they're given, I guess, a degree of confidence that they can do it themselves rather than bringing it to a shop for every little thing. You know, I'm, I'm telling them like, look, this is doable. You know, I'm not a professional mechanic. Um, and I have, I have tools at my house, but nothing crazy for like crazy, you know, fabrication. And um, people have gotten a lot of confidence and definitely inspiration to, to start their own build. Um, even if they're riding something that's not even, um, even close to something that you would cello, they're commenting all the time. Hey, I just sold my road glide and I bought a soft tail deluxe or a heritage soft tail. And it's, it's really cool to hear that, that I'm giving people inspiration. So people can literally dip, dip their toe in as it were, and just do a few things. What typically, if you're doing a beginner cholo, um, what would it be the handlebars and turn signals or something like that? Um, a little bit more than that. Um, because if you're going to start calling it a cholo, you, you, you gotta have at least a basic look. Um, and basically it would be wheels and, you know, uh, exhaust that'll like get you in the game, right? Wheels and exhaust and then intermediate, you know, it's like where you're starting to dabble a little further. Now you're getting into, uh, suspension and you've now changed the seat. Uh, maybe you did bars. Uh, you're starting to add a lot more Chrome or, or your build is starting to go, it's starting to take shape. So if you're going to do more of like a, a murdered out type of deal, you know, you could start seeing that the person added more black or more chrome, or it's really starting to take shape. It's not just a couple little parts um, to, uh, to get in the game. Now it's like, this thing is starting to get, it's starting to progress. Murdered out. I like that expression. <laughs> I didn't come up with it. Murdered out is, is all black, everything black. Right. So do, do you tend to favor Harley Davidson's or only Harley Davidson's or other models as other makes as well? I, I do now. I definitely favor Harley. Um, I didn't always. And uh, I used to be in the sport bike game, uh, which was great. I had a lot of fun with that. Um, my favorite was a, I had a 2011 ZX-10R, um, which I did a bunch of work to. But um, yeah, in the last maybe five years, it's been Harley only. Um, I just, I love the, the American part of it and the sound and just the heritage of it. It's just, uh, there's something alluring about it. Yes. And are you using Harley Davidson parts or you're looking, researching all sorts of different parts, different companies? Uh, both, both. Um, some parts are good to go directly to Harley for, um, but I gotta be honest, like very few. Um, and then the rest of them are outsourced to uh, aftermarket companies. And I know historically, a lot of people 
will say like, oh, aftermarket companies for, for anything will generally have less quality, but I'm really not seeing that. In fact, it's, it's almost quite the opposite because these companies are really putting their reputation out there. So their quality control is, is very good. Um, and they have really great like design ideas that they're doing. Um, so you can do any kind of build you want. Yeah, these companies are vulnerable to feedback. Obviously everything's public these days and you can look at reviews and if anything bad's happening, you'd know it. <laughs> sure, absolutely. And the great thing too with the whole internet thing is that they're so worried about their reputation that if you do ever have a problem, um, they are generally very good about correcting the problem. Either they replace it or they refund your money. So it's, it's generally not an issue with the aftermarket at all. It's great. Great. There's, there's so much available that you can do to personalize your motorcycle. And absolutely, particularly in that Harley Davidson genre where people like to sort of, they're going with that, that, um, that feel, but they like it to be their own machine. There's just so many avenues you can go from there. Once you have that, that, you know, that basic bike, you take it from there and then do whatever you want with it. And people are getting really funky. You have um, a lot of builders, especially out in the West that have come up with these wild ideas. Um, just when you think that there's no more room in the game, uh, <laughs> that all the ideas have been thought of, somebody comes up with something new and it's, it's super cool. Very cool. It's very exciting time to be, to be doing this sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Do you get much feedback from riders who've started to do their bikes? Do you have a lot of interaction with people via your YouTube sort of teaching, if you like? A lot of feedback uh, through the YouTube comments section. I'll get a lot of Instagram comments and Facebook and somehow people get my, my uh, personal email. I don't know how they do. And they, they hit me up on that, <laughs> which is, which is cool. It's I'm fine with it. And I love answering questions and people will tell me that they've either been inspired and they just want to send a couple pictures or they'll, they'll ask, uh, you know, any kind of, you know, more in-depth questions that are better answered in a private chat. I've had people call me, ask for my number, that they just, it's so in depth that they, they need to fit, like actually talk to me. Um, it's really cool. I, I definitely enjoy being like being right there in it with people and, and answering questions if, if I can. I think inspired is a good word. I, I heard you say that because when I watched, I've only watched a few of your YouTube videos and I'm going to watch more. I like the way you, you are actually having a go. Some bits you're saying, well, this is a bit nerve wracking. You know, I'm going to try this and drill a hole in my fender or whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 drilling a hole in a fender, it, it is nerve wracking. You gotta make sure you do it uh, not only properly, but in the right spot. If you mess up a spot, like that's it. Now you have a hole uh, <laughs> where, paint, where paint would normally be. So you really wanna make sure you take your time on that. And you know, a lot of this stuff I haven't done before. Um, I haven't done, I certainly haven't worked on a Road King before. This is my first go at it. Um, and I let people know that so they're aware that this is my first time and it's, it's a learning experience for me as well. Um, but I'm not, the main thing is for me to try to not put out bad information. Um, so if, if I really don't know about something, like I'm not going to put it on the YouTube uh, video. That's, that would be the worst thing is to put out bad info. Yes. Yeah, that would be pretty gnarly. Um... Regarding paint, do you paint yourself? No, no, that's, in fact, there's really two things I don't do and that's paint and I don't 
put uh, tires on wheels. That's it. And really, I mean, nobody puts tires on wheels. You have yeah. to have a special machine for it. Um, so I bring it to the shop. Um, and then paint. Paint is a whole nother art thing itself. Uh, so I don't, don't even bother with that. I have done a couple small pieces, um, but certainly not the overall bike. No, it's it's specialist for sure very specialist sort of topic yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't dare touch that so you've done the soft tail absolutely and we can look at that fully and what's next once you've fixed that up or are you what's what's your next plan your next exciting adventure well it's this thursday i'm planning on setting a world record for miles traveled in 24 hours on public roads oh wow and i will be using first time i've heard of that yeah it's uh there is a world record out there and it's very impressive, but it's it was set on a closed track by this man named Carl Reese um, just a couple of years ago, too. I think he's from California, but he set the record in Texas. Um, he did something like 2,100 miles in 24 hours. Wow. Insane. Uh, my hat's off to the guy, but I'm trying to do this on public roads because 99.9% percent of people don't have access to a closed track mm. so this is something that somebody else can try to best and although i'm not having anybody from guinness world records present um, because that just costs tens of thousands of dollars uh, i'm going to try to show every bit of evidence that this was done without any form of cheating or anything like that so you'll have your team follow you and film you or you'll do some filming yourself it's the whole thing is going to be done solo um i just actually thought of an idea this morning that would help with the evidence part and that, that would be to show the atomic clock there's a like a web page that shows the atomic clock and it's the the you know perfect time and date um, and then i'll show a couple other things to show the date and also mileage um all in the same shot so it's like i can't manipulate that I mean, I'm sure I could uh, if I really spent a lot of time, but I I'm not doing this to try to cheat it. I, I want to do it, and and I don't want there to be any doubt. Well, it's, that sounds indisputable, and, you know, hey, you're a motorcycle guy, so you're not going to be out cheating. <laughs> no, and and I have a reputation that I want to keep up as well. So if, if anybody ever were to – I wouldn't want anybody to call me out on it. So I'm doing this 100% legit. Uh, and completely solo. That's an exciting, exciting challenge to put out there as well. As you say, other people can get involved and have a go if they fancy. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. It's going to go down. Um, I'm going to do a big loop in New York because New York is actually pretty big and then cross over like towards Cleveland and down to Knoxville, Tennessee. Wow. That's looking like it's going to be in the neighborhood of 1800 miles in, in one day. Amazing. The hardest part I think is just going to be the stops. Yeah. The fuel stops. If I can limit them to about five minutes, um, bringing all my food, all my drinks that way I don't have to stand online in any convenience store and wait um, everything I need. I'm bringing with me. So it's just gas, gas stations. And that's it. Gas it up, go. Gas it up, go. Just don't put my foot down until I hit the next gas station. That's the idea. That's brilliant. Perhaps you can come back and tell us all about that again. We'll have you back on here on Motos and Friends. That would be great. Fantastic and great speaking with you. Thanks very much, John. Thanks for having me. Cheerio. Take care. Bye.